Well, good day. I, I forgot my glasses. <laughs> Did anyone come today? I know it snowed this morning. <laughs> How am I going to see my notes? I can't. Oh, no. Ray, 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 I have a solution for you. You do? Yes. I need help right now. Well, I could give you a pair of glasses. Really? I have a kit. Oh, great. Yeah. This is there, amazing. There, it just so happens that I was carrying this around. There is an organization called Global Vision 2020. Okay. They sell kits of eyeglasses where you, you do an eye test, you find the right prescription, you pop in the lenses, and within a couple of minutes, you can have a new set of glasses. No way. Do you want a pair? I sure do. Okay, let's do it. We can do this right on the spot here. Totally spontaneous. Here. Not the greatest uh, set of glasses, John. Put that on. I can't see anything. You ready to preach? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. This is the tester. So what you do, you adjust those little knobs. All right. Here's an eye chart. Okay. All right. Step back a little, back a little. Go no, far. Okay. I oh, think stop. I'm going to oh. fall off the okay. platform here, John. <laughs> Don't fall. Now adjust those knobs so you can see this clearly, all cool. right? So Willingdon Church has purchased one kit of 500 pairs of glasses that we're going to send along with some of our short-term mission teams around the world. And uh, already these, these glasses have been having a significant impact. It's a great tool to quickly give people eyesight and to bless them in that way. Pastor Brad, who is on our team, gave some of these in Malawi. Great blessing to those people. Ray, you you got it set up? I think so, yeah. Okay, let's have a look at this. So, on the right, it's white two, and on the left, it's also white two. So that's the prescription. It's all color-coded, so i got to find the right lens in this kit. See, it's all color-coded. Pop it in. Oh, but you know what? I'm actually not very good at fine motor skills, so not very encouraging. I should never be a dentist. <laughs> I thought you might forget your glasses today. I just had a sense, so I yeah. made you a pair already. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. There oh, blue. Go. Blue for you. Very nice. Try those on. Oh, that's what you look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there it is. Blue glasses. I can see. Look who you're preaching to. I know. Look at that. There's people there. Incredible. So now that you've seen this product, I actually don't wear glasses. I'm just wearing these for fun. Um, You might notice that a whole bunch of our volunteers and staff and worship team are wearing these today. We're raising funds to purchase more kits for our short-term teams. And so if you'd like to contribute some finances to... Uh, to purchase some more of these. After the service, just out in the lobby, there's a table, an opportunity to check out these glasses, like look at them. We're not selling them to you, but if you want to contribute so that we can buy more to bless people around the world, you're welcome to do that. We'd love it. You ready to go, Ray? Yeah, you should just clean the glasses before you give them to me. (laughs) Well, I had no idea this was going to happen. All right. So glad you're here today, John. Super helpful. All right, have fun. Thanks for helping with the introduction. Thanks for the new set of glasses. Matches my shirt, right? (laughs) Fantastic. Do you remember the first time, if you wear glasses, the first time you put on your new set of glasses and all of a sudden you could see words on the page, you could see signs on the highway, you could see the features on people's faces. Everything came into focus. Or maybe you remember the first time you picked up a pair of binoculars and all of a sudden what was fuzzy on the horizon, like a mountain, you could actually see it. 
or a ship at sea. Everything came into focus. It's amazing what happens when we put on a new set of glasses. We all have a set of glasses. We all have a way of seeing what we call a a worldview, a vision of reality. Where do we get it? Well, it's not given to us by an ophthalmologist. It's given to us by our parents, by our extended family. It's given to us by teachers. It's given to us by our culture, through the songs that we sing, uh, the movies that we watch, the books that we read. We all have a set of glasses. Now, that set of glasses that we wear, it guides us in our thinking. It helps us evaluate things. It, it influences the way that we make decisions. It influences our emotional life. And so the question is, not whether we do have a pair of glasses or not, but is our set of glasses actually helping us see reality better? Or does it distort reality? Where might we get a better set of glasses? A recent Facebook meme did a play on words. People who wear glasses, I'm quoting, people who wear glasses must be excited for the new year. It's the first time they'll see 2020. (laughs) Kind of lame. But the question, is our vision for 2020, is it accurate? Is it focused? We all need to have our glasses adjusted. None of us see reality as perfectly as God does. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see in a mirror dimly. And then he writes, we know in part. Paul needed to have his glasses adjusted. We all need to have our glasses adjusted. Who might help us? Revelation chapter 4 provides a set of glasses and it's the vision that we want to look at today. So before we open Revelation chapter 4, let's pray. It's, uh, if you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 1030. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to the Apostle John. And we thank you that you asked him to write the vision down. And we thank you that you have preserved your written word and that we can read it today. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would understand what we read, that we would see the vision, and having seen the vision, know how we should live today. We ask that your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth. Jesus, we trust you to teach us, and we pray in your name, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read 4 verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold. The Apostle John, when he receives this vision, he's about 80 years old. He has been exiled to the island of Patmos. Patmos is a rocky island out in the Mediterranean Sea. Why is he there? Well, he refused to worship the emperor Domitian as God. And because he refused to worship the emperor, he's considered to be a criminal, a political troublemaker. There, while he's imprisoned by Rome, he receives a vision, an invitation from Jesus. 
John, he sees the door of heaven open. It's standing open, and he hears a voice like a trumpet. It's the same voice that he heard in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So it's the voice of Jesus that he hears. Come up here. Jesus invites him to pass through the door of heaven and to see what he would never see in the natural. He's going to receive a new set of glasses. John ascends by the Spirit. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So we see the word behold in verse 1 and verse 2. Behold. John, he's giving an exhortation. It's a command to his first hearers. They are to see something. And that's the invitation to us today as well. Look. Behold. See. Look. That's the most frequent command in all of Revelation. It appears 26 times. The second most uh, frequent command is fear not. And so the message is this, if we actually see the vision being provided by God in Revelation, our fears will be dispelled, our anxieties will be calmed, our worries will fade away. What does John want us to see? A throne stands in heaven with one seated on the throne, the seat of power and authority, the control center of the universe, there's someone seated there. Now, with our ordinary glasses, our everyday glasses, we might think otherwise. If you've been tracking world events, a lot has happened this week. There's civil unrest that continues around the world. Fires burning out of control in Australia. Increasing tensions in the Middle East. We pray for Iran. A a passenger plane was taken down this week. Tragic things happening, not only in that country, but throughout the Middle East. So as we observe what's happening in our day, we might ask, well, who is on the throne? Or maybe the crisis is closer to home, in your own life, in your marriage, your family, your school, your place of work. On Monday, um, I was on Highway 1 together with some friends. And uh, as we were coming home down Highway 1, we saw in the distance uh, a mound in the middle of the highway. And we thought, oh, a pile of dirt, uh, a tree stump. But as we got closer, we realized that an accident had just happened. We were the second car to arrive. And so there already was a woman standing by the car. I got out. And uh, went to the car, realized that the mound in the hi- on the highway was actually a compact car that had collided with a fuel tanker, and there was a, a, a man, a man imprisoned inside the car. So when you come up on a scene like that, you just feel helpless. You call 911, you talk to the person in the car, you pray. Shortly thereafter, the person f- passed away. So, 
I think of what I saw, and I think of what first responders see day after day. Um, Paramedics, firefighters, the police force, emergency medical personnel, day after day, confronted with these stark realities of life, the fragility of life. And when we see that, what do we see? Who's on the throne? Jesus says to John, come up here. Behold a throne. That word throne, it appears 17 times in chapter 4 and chapter 5. 32 times throughout the book of Revelation. And the other related terms, about 77 times. And so the throne, that's the dominant image of Revelation. If we are going to understand anything as we read through Revelation, it is that there is a throne standing in heaven and that there is one seated on the throne. Who's on the throne? Is the one on the throne insecure? Is his reign threatened in any way? Has evil, sin, and death stormed the gates of heaven and upset the one who sits on the throne? You know, when the door of heaven was opened to John, as I said, he was on the island of Patmos, and the the rule of Rome was becoming more and more repressive for the church. Domitian, the emperor of that time, had killed 40,000 Christians. John was exiled to Patmos. Life was not easy for John and other members of the church. He was left there to die on a rocky island. But despite appearances, despite what he was seeing in the natural, who was actually reigning? The one with all authority and power was sitting on the throne. And the one seated on the throne, he was secure. Not once in the book of Revelation does the one on the throne get up and start to pace. Never in the book of Revelation is he anxious, worried, fearful. He sits, he is sure of his reign. And when he commands for something to happen, he doesn't even move a hand. He just speaks. What does the one seated on the throne look like? Well, John writes the appearance of Jasper in Carnelian. Jasper, clear, brilliant. Jasper and Carnelian, these are translucent stones. In other words, the light passes through them. So Jasper, Carnelian, it's orangish, reddish stone. This image of beauty, of glory, of radiance, of majesty. And around the throne, there's a rainbow. With the appearance of emerald, transparent green. And when we think of the rainbow, what does it symbolize? What it symbolizes is that God is faithful. That he can be trusted. That he is faithful to keep his word. That he keeps his promises. And so the one seated on the throne, he can be trusted. And his judgments will always be merciful and just. You see, 2020 vision, seeing clearly in our day, It doesn't begin in my office or your office. It doesn't begin in our boardrooms. It doesn't begin in the PMO in Ottawa. It doesn't begin in the White House in Washington. It begins with a vision of the one who is seated on the throne. And we stand there in awe and wonder when we see him. And of course, that vision of the one seated on the throne demands that we get off the thrones of our lives. 
If we truly see what John sees, we will get off the throne because that is the only sane thing to do. The only one worthy of sitting on the throne of my life, of your life, of our families, of our church, of our world is God Almighty. If I am sitting on the throne of my life trying to control the circumstances of my life, my vision will always be distorted. (laughs) It'll be obscured. It'll be fuzzy. It'll be blurry. I will never see clearly if I am trying to sit on the throne of my life. What happens around the throne? Verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. From the throne come flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. That language, it takes us right back to Exodus, to Mount Sinai, the people of God gathered around the mountain, there to meet God. We read in Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. The people tremble with fear. That's what happens throughout the scriptures when people have a vision of God, when they are in the presence of God. And here, Moses, in Exodus, Moses is called up. In Revelation chapter 4, John is called up. Come up here. And if you trace this imagery through Scripture, this imagery of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, we realize that wherever we see this language, it communicates majesty and awe. It declares God's right to judge, his ability to overcome evil. As we read through the next chapters in the book of Revelation, we're going to observe three series of judgments. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then the seven bowls. And when we get to the seventh in each series, the language will will, uh, resemble verse 5. So, when we get to the seventh seal, we will read flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. When we get to the seventh trumpet, again, we will read flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. When we get to the seventh bowl, again, we will read flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. The one who sits on the throne invites us to look, and he invites us to contemplate his throne. And we see, if we see him as John does, he is incredibly awesome. When we are before the throne of God, we are before sheer greatness. So we must never play games with God. When we are before the throne, we are before God Almighty. And so John invites us, see the one on the throne, the incredibly awesome and beautiful God. Continuing in verse 5. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. John writes that the seven torches of fire are the seven spirits of God. Seven is the number of completeness. And so what he's saying is that before God, you have the fullness of the spirit, the completeness of the spirit of God. And also before the throne, something like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The sea in the ancient Near East, it symbolized cosmic evil. The sea represented everything that was opposed to the will of God, everything that tried to undo, destroy, the work of God. What's the meaning of the vision? 
Well, before the throne, the sea is calm, like glass, evil, completely stilled in the presence of God. From the throne and before the throne, we find only holiness, transparency, and glory. I think we all know what it feels like to be in a little boat being tossed by the waves of the sea, to feel vulnerable in our present circumstances, to feel like the waves are crashing in on our boat, to feel like the pressures of life are going to drown us. And sometimes in the midst of really difficult circumstances that appear to be completely out of control, because they are, not only are things difficult, but those around us, those around us are communicating double messages. People are playing games with us. They're deceitful. And when that happens, we feel even more disheartened, completely exasperated. And what do we then see? Then we hear the invitation of Jesus. Come up here. And we hear the exhortation from John. Behold! We get a new set of glasses. We look through the door of heaven. We see the one on the throne. And he's not only secure in his reign, but he's good. And he's just. And he's faithful. And he's holy. And before him, every evil storm is stilled. He doesn't even have to get up to still a storm. Before God, everything is clear. Everything is transparent. Everything is above board. Everything is clean. God never plays games with us. God's on the throne. What does that mean? Well, to John on the island of Patmos, no need to panic. Evil will not win. The message to us, no need to panic. And then when we see John being given a new vision of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21, the first thing that we read is that the sea is gone. It's gone. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's more to the vision in Revelation chapter 4. So back to chapter 4, verse 4. Who is around the throne? Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. So around the throne, 24 elders. And of course, the question is, well, who are they? And some would suggest that the 24 elders are angelic beings, that you're just waiting for orders from God. Others would say that they represent the Old Testament saints. Some would say that they represent the 24 divisions of the priesthood in the Old Testament. I think there's another interpretation that better fits the context Many commentators would say that they represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus. 12 plus 12 equals 24. So they represent the faithful followers of God throughout history, both Old and New Testament. I think that fits the context because if you read through chapter 3, Jesus has a word for the church in Laodicea. And he says to the church in Laodicea, if you overcome, you will sit with me on my throne just as I have conquered and sit with my father on his throne. So the 24 elders then are the whole redeemed people of God, glorified and reigning with Christ. They're the kingdom and priests of Revelation 1 and Revelation 5. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. 
And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. We read, and around the throne, in verse 6, on each side of the throne. That language there, it communicates that there's an inner circle. The four living creatures, like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle in flight, each one with six wings full of eyes, they form an inner circle around the throne. Now, there are some commentators that will say that the four living creatures represent the whole created order. I believe, however, and many others do as well, that the vision here, it's very much like the vision that we read of in Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel 1, Isaiah 6. So I believe that John is seeing what Ezekiel saw, what Isaiah saw, what Daniel saw. His vision, it combines the seraphim of of Isaiah chapter 6 with the cherubim of Ezekiel chapter 1. The four living creatures, they represent the highest order of angelic beings, immediately around the throne, glorious beyond understanding. And so John is writing and saying to his first readers, and the message to us is, see those around the throne, cherubim and children of God. But the climax here is not the presentation of the splendor of the four living creatures or the 24 elders. The climax is their message. And what are they saying? Verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 three times, always three times. Holy, that most fundamental, foundational attribute of who God is. Holy other, absolutely pure. Lord God Almighty. It's even difficult to put into language what it actually means. God is all might, all strength, all power. Power beyond our imagination. And he is the one who is, who was and is and is to come. He was there in the beginning. He's in the middle. He's at the end. He always is. Holy, all powerful, eternal. You see, the kingdoms of this world, they come and go. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, where are they? The Ottoman, Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Soviet Union, China, the United States of America, all kingdoms of this earth, they rise and fall. There is only one who reigns forever. At the funeral of Louis XIV, king of France, the priest that was presiding over the funeral, he was looking down at the the casket, and there the body of the deceased king, the once powerful king, was draped in luxurious royal clothing, of course, concealing the cold within. 
And the priest looked up from the casket and looked to the assembled nobility, and he said this, only God is great. Only God is great. Only one reigns forever and ever. The one seated on the throne. And the cherubim, those created beings closest to him, they see with the greatest clarity. And what do they do? They worship day and night. They give all glory, thanks, and honor to God. What, were they, what are they doing right now? What were they doing yesterday? What will they do tomorrow? What will they do forever? You know, when we enter a worship service like this one, the worship doesn't begin when the worship team gets up and starts to lead us in worship. The worship service doesn't end when we stop singing or when we leave this auditorium. Whenever we worship God alone in our private place or with the church family like this one, Whenever we are worshiping in spirit and truth, we join a worship service that has been going on forever, and it will never end. How do the 24 elders respond to the worship of the four living creatures? Well, there's only one right response for anyone who sees this kind of sight. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fall down and worship day and night. And we are to see, the invitation is to see the activity around the throne. Worship day and night. We're invited in. Is anyone complaining? Do you read of anybody complaining? <laughs> is anyone gossiping? Is anyone spreading rumors? Is there anyone fighting for position? Trying to get a bit more influence? A bit more honor? Anyone trying to make a name for himself or herself? No, all of that kind of activity is so obviously nonsensical before the one seated on the throne. They just prostrate themselves in worship. They cast their golden crowns before God as an act of submission because they know that only the one seated on the throne is worthy of any glory, any honor. Craig Keener, who writes a commentary in Revelation, writes this. The kind of competition and petty disputes that ministers and others often experienced in the kingdom should vanish into a shame silence when we together recognize the only one who genuinely deserves any glory. And I believe this is just one of the beautiful things about worshiping God together in spirit and truth because it levels all of humanity. 
It puts an end to all human competition, all human uh, pretension, all ethnic dividing walls. We see in Revelation that there are people from around the earth worshiping together as one. It puts an end to all human agendas, all human posturing. It just becomes so irrelevant, so ridiculous, so obviously insane when we have a vision of the one seated on the throne. What do the four, 24 elders say? Worthy. Now it's important just to back up a bit and understand the context here. This word worthy, it was shouted at the emperor, Domitian. When he would enter the great hall, the Roman senators would shout toward him, worthy. When the Roman emperor entered a city, the Roman citizens would shout, worthy. They would say words and phrases like this to the emperor, holy one, glory, salvation belongs to you, authority, worthy to receive power, righteous are your judgments, our Lord, our God. Where is Domitian today? How many of us remembered his name? The 24 elders, the redeemed people of God, they know that there is only one who is worthy of worship. And as they gaze there, as they fix their eyes on the one seated on the throne, the falsehood, the false claims of Domitian, they're just laid, exposed, bare for what they are. False. What are we called to do in our day? The 24 elders, they cast their golden crowns before the throne. They recognize who God is. They recognize who they are. The holy, all-powerful, eternal God, the one seated on the throne, he's worthy of all worship. All things have been created by him, by his sovereign, gracious will. The cherubim, the church, they exist by God's sovereign, gracious will. All of life flows from him, revolves around him, returns to him. Nothing exists outside of his will. If God were to cease to exist, we would all vanish. He's the author of our existence, the purpose of our existence. Everything depends on him. And so we're invited to humble ourselves and to worship. John would say to us, do the right thing. Worship. Join the 24 elders. Join the four living creatures. Worship. You see, we all need a vision test now and then. We all need to have our glasses adjusted. By the way, these work quite well today. Thank you, John. Not Apostle John, our John. We all need new glasses. The book of Revelation, it doesn't just put out theological statements. It provides us with images, with visions. And if we see what John sees, suddenly our vision is no longer so distorted. We see with greater clarity. Suddenly things fall into place. We get perspective. John, of course, he's in prison. And he knows about the problems of the church in Asia Minor. You can read through chapters 1 through 3. And there were difficult things that were going on in the life of the church. 
He lived in a very difficult time. As I said, Domitian had already killed 40,000 Christians. But a door is opened to him into heaven. He's given a new set of glasses. He begins to see. The vision of the one on the throne provides him with 20-20 vision for his day. And what are we to do in the 21st century? If we're persecuted, bullied, or shamed, we can be reassured. Look, God's on the throne. If we're self-satisfied, complacent, apathetic, we should be deeply disturbed because look, God's on the throne. If we're assimilating with the secular worldview within which we live, placing God on the margins, then we should be shaken. Look, God's on the throne, reigning forever and ever. We will have 2020 vision to the degree, to the degree that we worship the one who is on the throne. The worship of anyone else, whether it be us worshiping ourselves or some other person or some other thing that will immerse us in endless frustration, despair, anxiety, worry. Whenever I get on the throne of my life, I do not see clearly. I become confused. I get worried. I try to control things. I get anxious. Suddenly I'm filled with fear and I wonder, well, what, is there anyone on the throne? And Jesus says, well, come up here and see the one seated on the throne. When we see the one on the throne, things fall into perspective. Whether it be illness, relational pain, an accident, events happening around the world. Daryl Johnson writes, the surest way to regain or regain an accurate vision is to worship Now, this is not just a theory. We're invited to do this, and as we do it, as we enter into worship with all that we are, the vision is clarified, and we discover that what we're invited to do in Revelation is true. We're given a vision of reality that comes from the throne of God. Jesus says, come up here. Worship. He invites us to relinquish our fears, to put our anxieties aside, to put our worries aside. The next time that we hear God speaking, God says in the book of Revelation, God says, behold, I am making all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. The best way to have a foretaste of heaven on earth in our day is to worship It's the most reasonable, the most appropriate, the most sane, the most holy thing we could ever do to worship God with all that we are. And it's as we do that that we will begin to see clearly. May God help us. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your message to us today. And we just acknowledge again, 
Father, that you are worthy of all worship, all honor, glory, power. You're holy. You're all powerful. You're eternal. And if we're here, Lord, it's by your gracious will. We are your children by your grace. We don't deserve to be here. Forgive us, Lord, when we get on the thrones of our lives and we try to take control of things and we then find ourselves fearful and anxious and worried and frustrated, despairing, filled with doubt. Thank you, Father, that by your grace you invite us to gaze on your throne again, to seek your face, to live under your authority, under your power, your sovereignty and your love. Jesus, you invite us to come to you to find rest for our souls, to commune with your spirit. Jesus, lead us forward, we pray. And as we consider what happens in the world in our times, Lord, wherever it may be happening, whether it be China, Iran, Venezuela, wherever it is, here in Canada, Lord, may we be moved with compassion And may we remember, Lord, that you are over all things, that you have all of history in your hands, and you have our lives in your hands as well. May we worship you with all that we are, with our affections and reverent submission, acknowledging that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.